Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Tacticam. Tacticam is by far the easiest way to begin filming your hunts. Whether it's the budget-friendly solo or the 4K 5.0, Tacticam has something for everyone. Check them out at Tacticam.com. This year we're also working with Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is machine learning for the deer woods. Basically, Spartan Forge takes collar deer studies, insurance car deer accident information, social media geolocations, and it couples that with weather, moon phase, and rut activity to tell you when or when not to be in the woods. This currently has an online interface at SpartanForge.ai, but the app is currently being built and set to launch late summer. Once the app goes live, you can expect there to be a price increase, but if you use code bowhunter, you can save 25% and that will stick with you as long as you use the Spartan Forge services. So head on over to SpartanForge.ai and get your free 14-day trial. Welcome back, everybody, for another great episode. Uh, More tactics. This week, William Ritchie from, from Bed to Dead. Um, is on to talk trail cams. Now, this is the only the second podcast that he's been on. I've been trying to get him on for quite some time. And uh, just a, a great young kid with a great attitude towards uh, hunting, uh, helping out people. And amongst other things, I mean, he is running probably more trail cameras than anyone that we're going to talk to ever. Um, and in doing so, uh, he's learned a lot of things about deer, deer movement, um, and, uh, getting on a lot of deer. Um, so I think it's really helpful. A lot of good information in this one. I know you guys are going to really enjoy it. Um, shout out to the Patreon group, man, that is growing. The Patreons are going in, uh, on that Marco Polo group, um, a lot of messages, a lot of messages. So uh, for everybody that's in there, give me some feedback on how you're liking it. We're talking some elk hunting. We're talking gear setups, um, working on our uh, rules and regulations for the uh, critter getter contest, um, uh, kind of to uh, make bow hunting fun again, I guess. Uh, it's been said in there that uh, kind of reminds them of like when they were a kid going out and you know, we're going to shoot some squirrels and grouse and uh, all the things with the bow. So uh, let me know what you guys are thinking about that. No new Patreons um, yet in August, but uh, that's all right. Patreon uh, isn't for everybody, uh, but it really does help us out, and we do our best to give back um, to you guys. So uh, what that does is that helps us uh, with new equipment, with upgrading everything that we're doing Um you know, out-of-state hunts, going to shows, meeting up with uh, guests, being able to do some of these uh, interviews in person, um, things like that. Uh, but we also want to give back, and uh, we do that in conjunction with our partners, as well as uh, going out-of-pocket um, to give back uh, quarterly. Um, so this quarter, um, Tacticam is giving away an LR spotter. Um, so we've been using that uh, out scouting some deer for my daughter uh, for the youth hunt and uh, goes right on your um, spotting scope and you can just click record and it records right through there. Um, it's not a phone adapter or anything like that. You just 
put it on there. Uh, it adapts directly to the spotting scope and uh, your recording. You can digitally zoom on that as well. So uh, pretty cool. Uh, really enjoying using that. Uh, they're giving away one of those. We are giving away another full saddle hunting package. And this one includes... Now, we did do a review on these, and they have been on a tree. Uh, but the impossible to get, hard to find, um, tethered one sticks. Um, so we are trying to figure out a way to give those away. Uh, we're going to give them away in this package. It's going to be tethered one sticks, uh, one of the new uh, latitude method saddles. Uh, so method or method XL, depending on which uh, you choose. Uh, EDP platform from Trophy Line. And uh, we'll give away the new trophy line ropes with that. Um, they have got some nice pliable um, eight millimeter ropes. And with those, we are, uh, they did listen to us. Uh, so they've got just one sewn eye. They don't have a different size for the lineman's belt. And uh, uh, really nice ropes, um, nice light. Um, much like the tethered ropes. But um, so we're going to be giving all of that away to somebody. Um, LR spotter to somebody, uh, saddle package to somebody. Um, and then uh, our partners jump in. So we're partnered with base map base map. If you're not using a, um, GPS mapping, um, scouting software. I mean, I use the thing for everything, especially like, I mean, when you're going somewhere that you've never been before and you want to see which house is theirs, what does it look like, how far is it down there. Uh, but they've got some awesome features, tons and tons of scouting features in there, tons of layers. Um, and the price is $30 for the entire year. You can use code CHRONICLES uh, when you go online, save 20%, and it's 24 bucks. So it ends up being $2 a month. Um, so if you're not using this and you're hunting uh, any public land, if you're hunting out of state, if you're hunting elk, um, you know, you need to be using something. And uh, base map is a great option for that. And um, they're giving away one of their year subscriptions along with the hat and shirt swag pack. Spartan Forge, that app is in the beta testing right now. Um, guys like Andy May, Taylor Chamberlain, Garrett Prawl. Uh, Parker McDonald, uh, Greg Litziger, these guys are all testing it out, working with Bill to make the best app uh, possible, make it user-friendly, have all the features um, that they would want uh, for telling you what days are going to be uh, in the woods, um, along with the notes section, um, all different things to help you uh, be more efficient in the woods. And he's giving away a year subscription to that. Um, and then our friends at Zinger, uh, they're giving away uh, one of their uh, packs of their new uh, Z2 Zinger. So Zingers are compression fit uh, 3D printed fletchings and uh, shot them. I've been shooting them all year, shot them at the Total Archery Challenge. They fly great. Uh, good guys, uh, Michigan guys, and uh, we want to see them do well. So it's great to uh, um, 
to be, you know, working with them and be able to try out their stuff and, and get it out there so that uh, more people are aware of it. So, um, and all that you, if you want to be a part of that, you can go to uh, patreon.com forward slash bowhunter chronicles podcast. Uh, you can go to bowhunter chronicles podcast.com. You can click on the link in our Instagram and you just sign up and uh, you can get entered to win um, all that stuff. It helps us out. Um, but, you know, if that's not for you, not a big deal. Um, we do have our Marco Polo group. Um, like I said, where we're, uh, talking with these guys, interacting, uh, every day, basically all day, because literally we have Patreons from Washington state all the way to, uh, Rhode Island and Maryland, um, and, you know, lots of states in between. So, um, <laughs> the time zones get interesting on all of that, but, um, we just try and put out the best information that we can out there uh, to help you. And uh, we really do appreciate everybody that listens. And uh, yeah, I mean, basically um, everybody that is listening, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. All right, everybody, Adam back with another episode of the Bow Hunter Chronicles podcast. John is uh, up in the UP. Um, doing some, you know, family fun time, but he's, uh, staying with his buddy where he hunts up there. So, uh, he's going to be <laughs> out doing some scouting. I guarantee it. But, um, so it's just going to be me tonight and we have on the line, uh, William Ritchie, who, you know, I've been talking back and forth for, I think a couple of years with him, trying to get him on the podcast. And, you know, it was just, I don't know, you know, and he's, you know, super helpful, you know, wants to help me out. He was telling me, you know, that he could put me on some deer and, you know, he just shares like all these incredible, um, trail cam photos. Like, I mean, more bucks than I've ever seen. Like if, if you could take like maybe one of his cameras and it's probably got more bucks on it than I have ever had on all my cameras combined. But you say, how could that be? Well, we'll get into that because he's running an exorbitant amount of uh, trail cam. So how are you doing tonight, William? Pretty good. I mean, pretty happy to talk to you. It's been a while, and it's been a while for me to, like, get enough confidence to come on here and speak what I want to speak and hear what people want to hear. So, <laughs> Well, it's just funny because, like, you know, we go back and forth here and there. Like, I follow along with you on social media, and then it's like you shared something like, on this podcast and I was like you son of a bitch like <laughs> I've been trying for so long you know but uh, well I mean I had to start somewhere and those guys it was kind of like a thrown like right to my feet and I just said screw it I'll do it and see if I can break that that barrier that I kept up for so long you know yeah yeah and so that one um is the back and then there's a space country PA podcast and uh, I hadn't heard of uh, those guys at all, but they they seem to be having a lot of fun over there. Um, oh, yeah. Seem like a, They're definitely a bunch of drinking fools, let's <laughs> put it that way, and they have fun. That's that's really all that matters, so. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, for the listeners who may not be familiar with you or um, haven't seen any of the stuff that you've been sharing, um, you know, give us a little bit of history of, of you coming up um, and hunting uh, like your hunting history, like where you started as a kid and things. Okay. Well, 
I, I mean, I was always fascinated with hunting and I mean, I always fished and I've, I've trapped, I've, I've done it pretty much all almost. And then I started really getting serious about hunting until like after I was 18, but I pretty much like grew my roots in the UP. I mean, our family had a camp up there. I mean, I spent every summer with my grandparents. They lived like right there in the UP too. So that's where I spent most of my time when I wasn't at school. And then, I mean, I was always fascinated with deer camp. Like my dad would go away for deer camp and I always wanted to go. I mean, it was just always my thing. I, and I, I would even go sit out in the woods on opening day, even when I was like seven or eight years old in my old backyard, when we grew up on the farm and just watched deer. I mean, I was just that fascinated about it. So that's really where it started. And then, I mean, I killed my first deer when I was 12 with a bow. And then from there, I mean, it's never ended. It just turned into like, like a, a weekday to a weekend thing to a legit obsession. And I just can't get over it now. I mean, besides hunting whitetails, I mean, I hunt ducks and geese and pretty much anything that can walk and you can hunt legally, shoot turkeys every year. So, I mean, that's pretty much where it all began. And then I live in Southern Michigan. So, and then I still hunt the UP to this day still run cameras up there. I mean, just wherever I could find a big deer, really. And so with your, your growing up like that, did you grow up like learning about, you know, deer hunting and, and tactics and chasing big bucks or was it more, um, I don't know, I guess wholesome, <laughs> I guess, like just go out and hunt. It was, have fun. It was more of like a, a family wholesome thing. I mean, it was the time that I got to see my grandparents and I mean, they, my grandpa hunted like everybody did back in the seventies and eighties. I mean, everybody ran a bait pile and they, you went out in the woods and you nailed together a, a tree fort basically to sit in and you drew the deer to you. And I mean, that's how I learned to hunt. But then when I was 15, I killed a really good buck in the UP with a rifle. And then from there on, I started to like read magazines and you, you can only watch so much TV about it, but I mean, those guys, they all hunt private land and stuff that like I can't even touch anyways, either way. But I mean, just learning like catching deer without using bait piles, I guess, funnels and like ridge points and transition areas, like pretty much all of it. And then, I mean, it just kept progressing from there. And then, when it was probably like 10 years ago, I come across the hunting beast and it wasn't really that I wasn't already really mobile, but I moved from a climber to a, like a lone wolf stand and went like really mobile. And I was already like using transition areas and stuff, but like, I didn't really call them that. I just knew the deer always hung out there. But then like with the hunting beast, it really singled down like what I was doing and what I needed to look for. It, it made it more simple than like being scatterbrained out there and be like, well, there's all these deer over here, but then there's all these deer over here, but then the big bucks are right here. But, you know, it just kept progressing to where I would single down where those big deer would be. And so in doing that, what, um, what did you find that you were doing right? And was there anything that you were, you felt like you were kind of doing wrong? Um, because I feel like that's, we talked about it a little bit before the podcast, but I think that that's where people get hung up, right? Is you either get overwhelmed by too much information or you're just, you know, striking well, out completely. I would, I would pretty much say that like 
there's two types of guys. You you want to hunt like a single bed or do you want to hunt a primary bedding area? And when you switch between the two, a single bed, how, how do you know he's actually really there though, besides like tracks and sign, but usually most of those bucks are there because there there's a primary bedding area. And I mean, once the action starts getting heated up towards the end of October, you want to hunt the primary bedding area where all the deer are mostly anyways. And like, and I mean, if you go out there and like get scatterbrained and you're thinking like way too much information at once, you're not actually like scouting either. You're, you're like, you're overthinking everything you're doing when out there, the best thing you can do is keep it simple and just like try to remember a couple things like off the top of your hand, like, like tracks and like, maybe there's some brows out there or what are they doing as food wise and like why would they be over there and not over here and like maybe like the public because i only hunt public what's on the other side of the public into the private land that would keep the deer to feed over there but they'd still come stay in the in the public i mean stuff like that like you want to keep it as simple as you can when you get overwhelmed out there that's when you just like you're scouting you feel like you're scouting you feel like you're doing something but you're actually not really doing anything at all if that if that makes sense yeah i think and i think like for myself like i hunted that way like for a long time because i would think that i just needed to be out there hunting but i was in the completely wrong area or it was a bad day like bad wind or it was a spot that i just went to that was like easy or or comfortable but i was just wasting my time (laughs) yeah i mean like I'm almost 30 now, but I would say back if I knew what I knew now 10 years ago, like right off the bat, uh, it'd, it'd probably be even more unbelievable what I could do. But when I was 18, 19, and 20, I mean, I put, I would say I put too much time into caring what some products were out there for than actually like actually just hunting deer and playing the wind. Like I never cared. And I mean, I got lucky. And I would say I was pretty lucky most of the time. And I must have just had a horseshoe up my ass if you really want to know the truth. But but in in all cases, I would say that you just can't get overwhelmed. And you, you got to think somewhat of like what you're doing. Like, I'll tell you one thing. One big thing that me and Jason always talk about is being organized. And I think if, if you go out there and you just throw everything all together and you're like wasting all this time putting it together or – you don't put your hunts together every night before. I mean, like I go, I work at night. So, I mean, as soon as I get off from deer hunting, I literally run home, take a shower and go back to work. But that whole entire eight hours there, all I'm thinking about is my next step and where I want to be and where I want to go or what I see. And that's like for, especially for people that aren't, aren't seeing deer and maybe they're just singling out way too much. And maybe they're just, not progressing as like just trying to hunt deer. I mean, like that's, that's really when I was 18, 19, I 20, that's what I want to do. I wanted to hunt deer. I didn't like, I didn't care if I found the biggest buck in the woods or the smallest buck or whatever. It was just fascinating, even just seeing deer and watching them. And I mean, if I got a shot off and, and which a lot of times I did, but it, it didn't really matter to me either way. I mean, I was still seeing deer out there because coming from only hunting like a couple little private places to expanding my whole horizon to hunt in public. And because I just keep in like relationships with people for private land is kind of hard these days, especially when it's a big lease game too. 
especially here in Michigan. Like there's so many people that like you used to be able to hunt all these farms and you're not able to anymore because they're all leased out. And then you're on a waiting list pretty much to get that lease. So I had to learn how to hunt public, like right off the bat. But also I was trying to like expand my horizon. And I also liked, like the adventure. I mean, I can walk the same piece 300 times. And every time I go out there and I learn something. Mm-hmm. Now in that, that learning and that, that going out there and hunting deer, um, one of the reasons that I wanted to bring you on, because like I said, there right at the beginning is there's probably not anybody out there that you're going to hear from that runs more trail cameras than you do. And so let's talk a little bit about how you started running trail cameras and how it progressed and, and how many are you running? All right. Well, it all started with probably like five cameras. And I put my five out and I'm like, man, there, there's over there that I explored and there's like a new whole set of food and stuff. And you can see the deer are using it, but I don't have no more cameras. So, I mean, it's literally how I just started buying more and more. But I would, I would find cameras on deals. I would just play the internet and go back and forth or like go to Tractor Supply or like all these outdoor places. And every time I seen cameras on sale, I bought them. I mean, I would put money aside just to do that. And then, I mean, I would go like a lot of the online outdoor stores too. They, they run deals. Like if you buy five or more, they usually like knock them down $20 a piece instead of $25 a piece. I mean, I, I run cheaper cameras, but I mean, on public land, you always have that risk of somebody stealing them. And if I, the amount of cameras I run and they're all hundred dollars a piece and somebody stole them, I, I would be kind of upset out there, but a $20, like that's a $20 bill. I can deal with it. Most of the time, I don't really get none of my stuff stolen. It's mostly people left to clear my cards or steal the SD card out of them. But, and last year was the first time I've had trouble in a while, but I think it's because a lot of people are going mobile now more than they used to. So before nobody was looking up, nobody had a stick on them to be able to climb the tree to get them. But it literally was more of, I always wanted to have a span of cameras because I started to look for certain deer than just a couple deer in an area. And then also running this many cameras will help you learn an area when you're not there. Like there's a lot of cameras I run on during the season that I don't even go over there to hunt, but I know within that week period, when all those bucks showed up on that camera, that's where I need to be. And how many are you running total? Well, right now I got 82 out. And then I have 20 in Indiana. And then the other, I would say probably 70 I have, I don't even have out right now. Just cause I've, I've really like shrunk my areas down to where I don't need all those cameras out there all in one place. But I, I also use them as like going to new places I never been. And I mean, if you can break it down on a map online and figure out where you know where the deer are gonna be or cross and then you go there, take cameras with you even if you know you're not going to be able to hunt it this year but you never know and the next year you could have learned so much off that that whole three week or three month season basically of running the camera there during the season and pulling them and knowing what's there and what's not and so when you're setting these cameras um what where are you setting them and and kind of like why because that's one of the things that like intrigues me is i I'm not a very good trail camera guy. I've got two out right now and I I own like three more. Um, 
mean, I have one on a community scrape that's active all year long. And then I have one like on the edge of a bedding area where I know that there's a buck bedded in there and I, I'm getting a couple deer here and there. But other than that, I would run them normally on like, like a travel route, uh, just kind of like for inventory. But then I, you know, deer, yeah, there's a deer trail, a game trail, but they may go meander and feed off over here and walk around it, you know, so you, you only yeah. get a certain amount. So how are you setting up these cameras and, and why? Because I, I mean, I got all the faith in the world uh, in you that don't get me wrong, but if you have 82 like community scrapes over your areas or whatever, like I need to go where you're at. Like No, there, I don't really have that many, but like basically during the summertime, your, your biggest factor, like, I mean, you want to start like at the start of the year of how I use the cameras all the way down to like summertime, or do you want to just go right in the, how I plan them all out in the summertime? Well, I mean, like I said, I'm not, I, I, it's very unlikely I'm going to get to talk to anybody that has a trail camera regiment, anything like this. So, uh, for the entire year is, would be great. Okay. Well, I really like putting out as many cameras as I can in January and February and, the biggest thing between winter and summer is a four-letter word, and it's food. That's really where it is, where it all is completely. I mean, if you could figure out what those deer are doing the feed, and especially in the winter, and they're all yarded up, I mean, you'll have hundreds of pictures of deer. But a lot of the times, the reason why I ran them, run them through January to like basically March when they really drop is one – to know really when those deer have dropped so I could find their sheds, but also to, to see what bucks have made it through the year. Because some of those bucks that like, that I seen over the summer and then they disappeared in the fall, they'll come back to that home range and they might, they might only been two miles from there and I just never got onto them, but at least I know they're still alive and I can try to really figure out where they might've went during the season too. But then Probably, I would say like mid June. Like your biggest factors, I would go drive to your areas, figure out what what the farmers have planted, like on the private and the public land. Because I mean, a lot of the public land I hunt is planted though too. And then from there, like probably early spring, like when you're scouting, it's probably not early spring, but like when everything's starting to bloom, you find all those apple trees too. I love running cameras over apple trees especially if you get the summer apples so they stay green and then they just fall off and then that's it those those like bucks for some reason that's the first place they will go like i would say just before they hit like a food source like a big food source like a bean field or like winter wheat like when it's growing or regular wheat actually when it's still green when it's first fresh too they really like that because i mean like you don't really get the acorns until like almost late August going into September. So, I mean, that's not really a factor in your summertime scouting as where you run your cameras, but I mainly run all my cameras close to food sources, especially if I knew or know where the bedding area is, but like probably my all time two favorite places are apple trees. And then like a little patch, like a one acre patch of CRP next to a bean field. For some reason, those big bucks love that and they love the fact that they can go to the beans and go lay in that tall grass and i have so many pictures of so many big bucks 
that come and sit down and there'd be four or five of them all together too of just like wow just all together in one area in that little one acre crp field right and they'll only be there all night and then like by eight o'clock in the morning they'll miss they'll go back to their main bedding area where they feel safe hmm. interesting so then what happens like um after you get through you know that the summertime feeding and we're moving more towards like say this time of the year into into hunting season how does that shift what what you're how you're using the cameras well when i go in the hunting season basically like so everybody can put cameras out september for or not cameras but they you can put your tree stands out september 1st or you're, you're legally allowed to september 1st on public land here in michigan so I usually try to pull most of my cameras just before then, like the last couple of days of August. And then like there's cameras that I feel safe enough that I will leave till almost October and then pull them just for the fact that I know nobody's going to see them. But I mean, if you really think about it, less theft or people looking at your cameras and seeing what's on your SD cards is try to pull them just before that. And then wait a couple of weeks when like a lot of people get in and out of the woods. But Mainly, mainly my fall. I mean, you, you still drive around and look what the crops are doing because like starting in October, a lot of those deer will hit acorns and then they'll go hit corn all night and pick corn right off the field because there's two bucks I shot in early October and I cut their stomach open and both of them are full of corn and that cornfield wasn't any closer than a mile away. If, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But my cameras, I'll, I'll mainly run closer to the bedding areas. And most of the time, like by then you, you should be able to find scrapes. I mean, where they're opening up. And if you really want to know what's in that area, if you, you know where the two big primary bedding areas are and there's a whole line of scrapes, you might only get night photos if it's kind of far away, but I try to get them as close as I can. And then like when I go and hunt in October, I'll actually pull a camera and sit there and look at it in the tree stand while I wait for the deer to stand up and come to me. Okay. So I guess, uh, from, from that perspective, you know, so you, you said that you killed some bucks early in October and that you're, you know, you're, you're pulling a camera on your way in. Um, what is your, your strategy then? How are you using the information that you're, that you're getting? So, well, I mean, like, it, it could be almost anything, like, is the fact that, like, it could be, like, every three days on a certain wind that that buck's in there using that bedding area. Like, if, if it's a buck that you're looking for. Because the one buck I shot two years ago in the early season, I actually watched him in that bedding area with, like, five other shooters all summer long. So I was okay with shooting any of them. But I would say... I want to say like September 17th, I had pictures of him when he turned from velvet to hardhorn. He w- it was earlier than that when he shed his velvet, but he still was using that bedding area, but he was only using it on a west wind. So I shot that deer on October 3rd, and it was on a west wind, and that was the only time that deer would come and use that bedding area. And when it took three days in the season for us to get a west wind, I went over there and set up. And I was 50 yards off the road and that deer was only bedded 45 yards from me. And then 
he he stood up and come right to me and I shot him at 17 yards. So, but I knew he was there. Just just the fact that like if you if you can look at wind data and compare it to like the times like in later September after those deer do that shift of like some of the deer will stay in that home range and then some of them won't. But like a lot of people think they all just move away and most of them don't. They stay within that like mile or two mile range. So you still always have a chance, even if it is a really big one or not, it, it doesn't matter. It, they don't really go too far. It's only during like, I would say the rut when they're really searching for does, they can end up 10 miles away. And so is there a particular like setup that you prefer like hunting? Cause I think you killed your deer last year from the ground. The one you just said there, um, you know, you were right near the road or are you just saying, this is where I need to be regardless. So the deer is going to be here. I need to be here. And if I can't get in the tree, if I'm going to have to be on the ground, if I'm going to be 30 feet up, because uh, those are, those are questions. I think that, you know, a lot of guys that are trying to make this uh, transition to, to start to shoot bigger bucks or try to shoot a, a specific buck, um, you end up with, um, you know, almost like, I don't know. They they'll say like, oh well, it just wasn't right. That deer is unkillable, or you know, whatever. I wouldn't say every deer is unkillable, but it just matters the fact of knowing what you know of being able to kill that deer. If that like kind of makes sense, like there's, I would say probably in the last three years, I've had a picture of one that I only got nighttime photos of, but I think this year I finally figured out where that deer hides and moves within like that daylight time i would say that you would be able to get a shot and i mean he's just an absolute slob too and but i've always had nighttime photos and within like a three mile like like radius too which is weird and you travel during the rut like that but using the cameras and knowing like what those deer are doing when you're not there helps but also it could hinder you too as the fact of you could be too late but like my biggest factor of using the cameras to really kill a deer in like September, like not September, but in October, but use it in September is figuring out why they're there during that time period as of like the wind mostly. So like every time you had like a West or North wind, that's why that deer's bedded there because he feels security of getting up and not being harmed. And it's adjacent to food. So are you, um, are you targeting like a specific bed or are you saying these deer bed here and yeah, it's, it's not really a specific bed. It's just specific primary bedding area. So there could be multiple deer in that bedding area, but I mean, most of the time when I'm hunting those multiple like bedding areas like that, it's I'll have four or five does stand up first and then they'll get up and that, that night, that I shot that buck a couple years ago, I had four or five does get up, but they come out the backside of the bedding area. And I thought I actually screwed myself over, but I stayed there and thank God I did because that one, he got up and come right to me, but he was doing something totally different. And when I went in there actually after, because when I shot him, he ran right back to his bed and almost made it there. And he actually got caught up in this pine tree, but that whole entire side, was shredded i mean he had he had everything rubbed out and 
tore up and that's what they were doing is I think they were marking all their sign before they went to the cornfield that was actually across the road where all those does went to the burnt off beans that were like to the north of me instead. Okay. Yeah. I think that's good to hear because I think, you know, there's so much emphasis put on buck bedding and buck beds and specific. I mean, single beds, you know? if, if, if you don't use a camera, but you know, exactly what a buck track looks like and like if you spend enough time out there and you're after like one or two certain deer you can really figure out what their track looks like it might take you a couple years to really figure something out like that so like if anybody listens to this as like getting frustrated towards that stuff i mean you're you're not going to be able to spot his track right off the bat but like the one deer i'm after this year he's got like one foot that's bigger than the left it's weird i mean i don't know why he does but that's how I know he's there and how his bedding area is because like he, I have an actual cell cam back there right now and he turns around and he'll look at cell cam and run. So I always only get blurry camera, uh, camera pictures of him. But the only pictures I have of him that are really good is he was with three or four other deer. So I think he felt more comfortable around them in his bachelor group being by that camera, because I, I don't know what the cameras make as noise, but like, it's it just one of those things that just really knowing where the deer want to be as like primary bedding areas. So they all feel comfortable because when you're, when you, I mean, Michigan, we're hunting super pressured deer. All it takes is one dude with a 22 to go squirrel hunt and walk through something and completely destroy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, but what I was going to say is like, there's so much emphasis put on, a single bed, you know, when you watch, you know, a lot of the Dan Infault stuff, when you, when, you know, it's all, you know, points or, you know, on this Island and, you know, a lot of guys can't, can't find that or, you know, they don't have that where they're, where they're at. And well, like, so, I think like with the, the single bed stuff that really should only come in the factor is when you put a visual on that deer and you see him the night before and you're just not close enough but you know that he's there and he's sitting in that single bed. If he's sitting there in that single bed, that next night you move closer and kill that deer. You don't like wait around. You can't just, you got to be aggressive. That's like, I have a buddy in the last couple of years, he's super into mobile hunting, but he was just really bad at being aggressive. He always wanted to stay on the outskirts and I keep, and I keep like pushing him harder and harder. I'm like, dude, you, you need to like get in there and get in there with those deer. I mean, if you know you can sneak in there quiet enough and set up quiet enough, there's no reason why you can't get anywhere from 30 yards to 70 yards from a killer from a killer spot, basically, to kill that deer. Especially if that night before on that single bed, you see him get up from that single bed and he walks a certain way, he's going to do that same thing the next night, especially if he feels comfortable there. And the wind doesn't do some, like, crazy amount of crap, too. Mm-hmm. But I think, like, from the primary uh bedding area standpoint is like, I don't think enough people talk about that because I know where, you know, I, I, and I would, I would translate this, I think to most guys, they could tell you like, there's going to be deer bedded in there. And I think that goes back to like that, that, uh, progression where you said, you know, you were killing deer, you know, before, yeah. before all of this. And so I, I think again, with, um, whether it's gear or, you know, information overload, you know, 
it, it can be so much. It can be overwhelming, and you're like, well, I can't find a buck bed, so I, I'm never going to kill a buck, you know? Which, I mean, technically, I mean, you don't have to have a buck bed to kill a buck, and that's where a lot of people don't, like, uh, what is the word for it? Like, basically think it through. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have to have a buck bed to kill a buck because, I mean, there's been so many times I've been out there that I have watched bucks chase does in front of me for hours, and then they, they bed 60 yards from me and lay down right there. And they're laying down right there just because they're tired, and they'll, they'll, they feel safe there because they don't know they're actually being watched. But, I mean, a deer almost could bed literally anywhere as long as they feel safe there, and there's, they know there's no intrusion. So without like too much information or, or whatever, um, I'm interested to know, and I think the listener would be too, you know, so you're, you are only getting nighttime pictures of the, the big buck that you're chasing. Um, how do you know, and you said, you think you've got it figured out. Like, is that from like backtracking tracks or process of elimination, put a camera here, 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 here. Well, if he's not any of those places, but he's moving through them, he's got to be over here or uh, how did you come to the conclusion of where he's at now well i mean there's actually two different big bucks i mentioned there but the one that is only nighttime photos is was a lot of backtracking and really backtracking the deer like i would say like tracks and like especially knowing the area that i've walked like a lot of it but i never thought about like this little chunk over here off to the side and I think that's like where he's hiding at most of the time, because it would make sense of where I would get him on nighttime photos, like coaster to dark over in this one spot. And then it'd be 3 a.m. in the other spot. But if you think about it, he just did one giant full circle too. If, if you like put it out on your computer computer and blew it all up and you really looked at it and thought about it, there's only so many places he really could hide besides like going over to private, which there's always that chance of him being over there. But I also feel the need of after looking at this little chunk that's off to the side that he's there during that time frame because of one, it's safety, it's super thick and the big buck signs in there and you can't just see it from the road. You have to actually walk right in there and like start digging around. But a lot of it's just backtracking of like, where I got him on camera over here and then where I got him over here at a certain time, a mile away. And that deer literally every night would work a big mile circle. And I think he just not only chased does, but he was working every like big community scrape he could that night. Because that's where I would get pictures of him is over these big community scrapes that like five or six bucks would use it. And I think he was really associating himself as a dominant deer between like two or three different uh, like social groups of bucks because the one big community scrape, it'd be a whole group of bucks, but then him. And then a mile away down the road, same thing, bunch of different groups of bucks and then him. And I think it was just because he was a dominant deer, but in that little like section off the side too, has a lot of doe bedding in it, bedding in it. And I don't think he had to get up during daylight to go chase does because they all came to him because he was the most mature deer in that area. That's where a lot of people don't look at as the fact that like here, because we have a lot more does than we do bucks, the most mature deer is not going to have to go very far to mate. Okay. Um, 
so, you know, I have to imagine that you're chasing, you know, multiple deer. You know, we just talked with um, Jake Bush, and he says, you know, he's looking for, you know, world-class whitetails uh, on public in Ohio, and he's got like a top five deer. You know, th- those are the ones that he's really targeting. How does your season go? Because it would seem like with that amount of information and the amount of um, like time that you spend in the woods, the amount of days that you spend hunting, it would seem like any day with a certain wind, you would have a chance to kill a buck. Maybe it's not one of the top five or, or whatever. Um, but so how do you, how does your season go? How do you prioritize your hunting season uh, given the amount of opportunities and time in the field? Well, from, I would say probably from five years ago till now, five years ago, I just hunted one multiple primary bedding area every night until I came and closed and shoot one of the bucks I've had on camera or that I've never seen before till now I'm breaking it down to two or three certain areas that I know that hold a lot of big bucks or a lot of good deer to shoot. But in those areas, there's only maybe one or two that I would shoot in that area unless you get a bonus that comes out of nowhere and he's just as big as the two that I would shoot. If if that would if that helps. I mean, it's kind of hard to really single it down, but like in the past, I I I've that's the thing with trail cameras that I hate the most is that you have so many pictures of good deer or deer that you would like to have as a trophy in your house or whatever but you you really need to single down just a few and know that they live in these areas and they'll shift to these areas and know where to go after them and you stay there until you get a visual and you kill that deer because last year my biggest fault was is that i was trying to chase too many bucks at once and i i did kill a nice one but it's still the fact that like it was a bonus deer that was completely off the radar and I got lucky. And there was one deer that I went back and forth with in a chess match last year that literally kicked my ass. And he, he would probably go in the one fifties as a 10 pointer. And I wanted that deer so bad that he's the whole entire reason why I left Indiana when Jason was down there to come back to kill him because he showed up on my cell cam. <laughs> so it, it was starting to get in the factor that I was really singling it down, but from running so many cameras, I, I basically run so many cameras now just to try to find the biggest deer I could find until I find the biggest deer I could find. Then in that certain area that he lives, I will bombard it with at least five to 10 cameras and really like break down what he's doing at almost every single day. Okay. So w- just for clarification, you know, we're, we're majority, we're talking about Michigan deer. Um, you know, Michigan always gets a bad rap, you know, from, from us and everywhere else, but being, you know, two bucks, um, not real great on the management side compared to, you know, some of the other, uh, states that are around us, Indiana, Ohio, you know, Wisconsin, all of that. Um, so what is the class of bucks that you're chasing and, and what is their, like their age structure? I, I personally try to kill anything that's four and a half and older now. 
because I mean, back in the day, I've killed multiple two and a half year olds and three and a half year olds. And now I'm like really trying to up my game. But in the last four years, the youngest year I've killed was four and a half. So I'm trying to stay within that or older and a mature deer. I mean, the only way I think I could kill a young deer now here is that he's, he's pushing at least Pope and young or bigger. Okay. Which I mean, it doesn't come across all the time. There's actually, I would say, from when I was a kid till now, there's probably more deer over 100 inches than a lot of people would give Michigan credit for. Because there's more and more people now that are getting a little bit more selective on trying to push towards having a better herd as quality of deer. But I, I, I mainly trying to shoot now probably the biggest buck I could find. Besides that, and what are if, what are they in inches? Would you say? I would say probably anywhere from like one thirty to pushing the hundred and eighty plus sign. Okay, yeah, you were you were telling me about one that got killed last year that you were it was last year, right? That you were chasing? No, it was. I would say it was probably almost three years ago now. And that deer, I filmed him all summer long. Had trail cam pictures of him, and I mean, I come close to really figuring out his routine and even when he shifted in september he didn't go anywhere but he was hiding between public and private and some kids shot him in the youth hunt and that deer scored i think like 187 or some something like would change a little bit right there but he was a monster now when you say that you hate that's what you hate about the the trail cams is that you are seeing so many so many bucks and then you talk about like when you were younger and the hunting being like such a, a wholesome, like, like family thing. Like, so for myself, like I didn't grow up chasing big bucks. We never killed any big bucks. You know, that wasn't any part of it. And so now even without the, the trail cameras, um, you know, I, I look at deer and I just have to, th I just think about like, would I be happy uh, shooting this deer, you know, and, but I don't have like a catalog of trail cam pictures that says, well, what if this one's next? Or what if this one, um, like, uh, how does that make you feel? Like I say, like, you know, you, you've, you talked a lot about like hunting with your grandfather and like the family aspect. Do you, do you think it takes like some of the fun out of it? Or is that like, it's just like a well, new goal. It just, it just, I would say it's more of as I've progressed of a as of like as of hunter that I I want to always constantly try to kill like the biggest buck I can find. But I mean, truthfully, like this is something me and Jason have talked about too multiple times. But the factor of that, even if it's 110 inch deer or 200 inch deer that come in and he come in and got me all fired up, I'm probably gonna kill him because that's all it that really matters. You're out there to have fun. I mean, nobody's paying you to, like, you have to kill this deer or not. I mean, it, yeah, it does. It is cool that you kill your target deer, but I mean, I hunt with a lot of people that are my friends, that are my close friends. That the biggest buck they might have killed is a six pointer, and I took if I take them out hunting and we see a decent eight pointer, like one of my buddies three years ago, biggest buck he's ever killed, he killed with me, and. 
it, it just that's all that matters to me. If it gets you fired up, I mean, he almost threw up in the stand that he got so much adrenaline <laughs> rush from it. So I mean, he was shaking. He like told me that he needed to get down, and I'm like, just sit down and take a deep breath. But I mean, you're out there to have fun. If you're not having fun, then why are you doing it? Or if you're out there and you're killing deer and you don't get that adrenaline rush, why are you out there to do it? It's cheaper to go to the grocery store and buy meat, or easier at least. Yeah. No, I just just curious like i said because you know for you to say that you know there are so many big bucks and you know i mean for the listeners like i'll post up some pictures and you can uh, i'll link all of his instagram and stuff but like you won't believe the amount of bucks and bucks together and big bucks you know what i would consider you know for michigan but you know a lot of them are like for anywhere um that you're finding so I don't know. I guess like the, the hunter in me, the person in me, you know, I think, well, you know, that's why I'm asking the questions as I, as I am is like, you know, if I had pictures of all of these bucks, you can better believe that I'd be, you know, I'd be out there, but I don't think I could wait for the next one. You know, I'm, I'm very much a a bird in the hand versus well (laughs) and i mean there's nothing wrong with that i mean eventually everybody's got to grow as a hunter in their own way if you spend the rest of your life killing a 100 inch deer that is awesome i mean it it doesn't matter it's whatever you see in your own eyes is what you want to do and that's where a lot of people go wrong in this world is that like if you ain't killing deer that are over 150 inch plus you don't know what you're doing that doesn't mean you don't know what you're doing It, it means you're actually out there having fun And I mean, that's what it really matters to you. You don't, there's like two ways you want. You go out there just to like have your time to yourself and you go out there to have fun. And and that's why I hunt. Like, that's why I hunt deer and shoot ducks and geese. And I used to trap. And then, I mean, I fish a whole ton because I mean, I'm out there enjoying what we can because it's the resources that we pay for. Now, that's the, another one of the things I wanted to ask you about with uh with trapping you know i heard um uh, troy pottinger talk about that's the way that he sets up like his mock scrapes and he has the deer like come to him and everything like that with your history like trapping do you think that that helps you to like see the woods differently or try and figure out movement differently than maybe somebody who has never tried to lure something in like that yeah i i would say it gives you like a little bit more woodsman skip or woods wow woodsmanship than most people can go out there to do because like trying to get a coyote to step in your trap that is only five inches like big is a lot and you only get one chance at them most of the time too when you trap because once you miss them, they won't ever come back to that setup. But the woodsmanship style towards it and knowing like what an animal wants to do is it's it's quite impressive. Even just going out there and watching them and see what they do and spend hours just watching like deer or wildlife period is like in itself, it's it's like a teacher trying to tell you what to do. Okay. So it's it's more of just like a like a watch this and that's how it's going to be the next time. So you just have to insert yourself in there and and, yeah. and figure that out. 
Hmm. Like so. I'm, I mean, I mean, like every every animal's different, but like with trapping, like I mean, you don't go trap muskrats in the middle of an acorn flat. I mean, you go trap them in usually a cattail swamp that has water that runs through it, or a, or a backed up like pond that has their huts and stuff. I mean, they live there, they feed there. That's where they want to be. That's where they feel safe. And then, I mean, you could put that into like deer. I mean, deer feel safe in this thicket. They, they feed close by. I mean, and there's only so many ways ins and out that they're going to come in and out. You just got to figure out the exact way that they use their area to come between bedding and food. So from, from your standpoint, saying sitting and watching and there the animal's going to be the teacher um, yeah what have you learned from all of these cameras that you know will help out you know the new hunter or the um the guy that's trying to get on bucks for the first time or, or you know maybe he's got his first first trail camera you know i would i would say basically like that that's actually a pretty hard question besides not getting like too in depth on as like like my October ish into November. Like even if it's a feeding area that they put their camera over or it's like a bunch of scrapes or you know there's like a scrape that always opens up but it doesn't open up till like the middle of October. That that scrape will tell you that week period with that camera for the first five days or that like it could be a two-week period that all those bucks are there because that's their they're there to breed those doves. Well, that's something that I, you know, I, I had heard a lot of other people talk about, and I had, um, you know, I thought, well, you know, that would be nice if I knew, you know, when the deer were using this, or they say, you know, it's only a couple of days a year that there's bucks in this this area, but in the you know, I, I the way that I talk about trail cameras is I feel like people are using trail cameras like like you are or that are using them like at a higher level where they are looking at it and they're not necessarily looking at it for like your cameras don't necessarily have to be for this season. You're just no. looking at them for the deer movement, the time, the wind. You, you're You're basically saying the why. And yeah. then there's other people that are like, I feel like trail camera enthusiasts. Like they just want to get pictures of bucks. Everybody likes seeing pictures of bucks, but they're not, you know, we, everybody has been through, you know, some public land area where there's a ladder stand and then either hooked right onto the tree that's there or, you know, 10 yards out in front of it is a trail camera. And it's like, you know, I wouldn't imagine that guy's getting very many pictures, but he just wants to see something on his camera so he can go and hunt there. But it's never going to work out, you know. And in my short run, like there's a property where my wife keeps her horse just down the road. And my wife's birthday is November 8th. Every year within like four days of her birthday, there's one big buck on camera and like big for this area, a deer that, you know, never seen before any of that. And then, you know, when you talk about a scrape area like that last year, I found a scrape in August, 
put a camera on it, let it run all year, can't even pick it up, October 23rd to the 25th, there was multiple bucks on it every single day. And so now I'm just thinking that's where I need to be during that that time. Uh, well, the thing about having that scrape period with that multiple bucks on it is just knowing what like betting areas are completely using because it might be multiple betting areas that they're using. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's really where you got to single it down. Like, well, the one buck you want to kill off that camera, like, is it going to be here or is it going to be in the other two mm -hmm. and knowing what time he comes or what, like what the wind's doing because the wind could really tell you where that mature deer is going to be because that's the safest point of contact that he feels safe there. And he, he thinks he's got a bulletproof. I mean, like, truthfully, there there's so many uses for trail cameras these days that it, it makes it hard. And, I mean, your, your everyday, like, weekend hor um, hunter, everybody, yeah, like, you're right. Everybody wants a ton of pictures of bucks. And, like, that that's the fascinating part about it. But, I mean, are you actually using the camera to do that? Or are you actually using the camera as informational of trying to, like, figure out what those deer are doing because you can I, truthfully you can use these cameras to really hunt for you and you don't have to do that much one thing that we didn't talk about and i don't want to be on here you know too long for you i know you got to probably work tonight but uh, no i'm good i actually tonight i have off for the first time in two weeks so okay good um but with that many cameras how are you checking them how often are you checking them and how much thought are you putting into like the entrance and exit of dealing with all of these cameras? Well, like my summertime cameras, I really don't care too much besides I'll go check them like once every two months. And I mean, like you've, you've probably seen on my Instagram, my dog, I take mm -hmm. my dog everywhere with me. And I actually use my dog to my advantage because like, a lot of the deer, they're so used to people. I mean, they tolerate it, and then they tolerate people with dogs because there's actually a lot of beagle hunters in my area, and there's a lot of people that, like, bird hunt and duck hunt and stuff. I think my dog, during the summer, a lot of the times, helped me, like, check the camera, and the deer just wave it off like it's nothing because I went out there by myself, and you could tell on the camera, like, those first five days, those deer got all weirded out. But when I went out there with my dog, the first five days, they didn't even care. It was like it was nothing. It was just like I was just some nature walker out there walking with his dog. Like they associated the two together. I mean, it's, it's kind of weird to say that, but it's just something that I've noticed. But if I was anybody, I wouldn't go check your camera like every week. That That's where you fault out and you're getting those deer to pattern you and you, you won't get them on your camera anymore either. But during the season... I it, it's basically wind base or I'll go check the camera and hunt it at the same time. And so when you're, when you're hunting, um, I guess, what is your, your setup for your equipment? Are you hunting from a saddle? Are you hunting hybrid? Are you doing hang and hunt presets? Well, I, I mainly hang and hunt and then I I'll hunt off the ground because there's a lot of areas that it's all marsh and there's no trees to hunt it out out of. And if there is a tree, you look like a giant lollipop in the middle of the marsh and the, the deer notice that. Mm -hmm. It's just trying to single down like they, they have multiple trails, but there's a certain trail that those bucks will only use most of the time. 
and that's mostly the downwind side of primary like doe bedding areas or deer bedding areas that those bucks will come down because and they don't have to go into that bedding area to check for hot doe they can just come down the downwind side and scent check it and keep moving on and so when you're hunting from the ground what are you using for a a seat or are you just standing kneeling what do you i actually i i got one of those little like meyer fold-out chairs and then i sit down and like i have like because i duck hunt i got a lot of cattail camo i'll i'll wear cattail camo so you don't stick out like a sore thumb i try to match my surroundings but like when i hunt out of a tree i'm out there in like carhartt pants and uh a flannel or whatever i mean pretty much as long as it's not real bright colors just real dark solid colors and have you found that to be you know have you been picked off i mean do you think that it makes a difference or do you think that you're just in there in such like a you know kind of like a bulletproof setup like where you you know you're you're saying okay well i know the deer are here and I know that there's no way they're going to see me before I can kill them or, or what? Basically it's a lot of that. They ain't going to see me until it's already too late. And if most of the time, like if you don't move and make fast movements and you just, you stick yourself to the tree, like that was my, my buddy that shot that buck a couple of years ago, that that was the biggest buck he ever killed. When we were like, it's like real thick cover next to an oak flat full of sting and nettle. And that's why those deer were there because we didn't have any acorns that year, but they were just mowing that sting and nettle. And when they were mowing that, they'd work this big scrape right on the edge of their, the brush, but they'd come out of the marsh, work that brush because they felt safe through the, all that brush and undergrowth that they come work that scrape. And that's what that deer did. I filmed him actually working that scrape and come to us, but we were in such an open spot. My buddy kept coming off the tree and there was multiple times. I actually like told him to take a deep breath and I grabbed him and push him against the tree. And you want to like melt into the tree, basically like you're, you're attached to it. And a lot of the times, if you ain't moving, they might look your way, but they're not looking at you. If that makes like any sense, they're just looking and scanning the area to see if they could catch any movement before they keep moving on. And that buck actually, he worked that scrape and he come right to us and he was eating sting and nettle right in front of us before he shot him. But it, it was kind of funny. And I mean, I'll admit to it because I am human. Two hours later, I missed probably one of the biggest bucks I've ever had a crack at. And that deer didn't care about feeding anything. He was with a doe and he was locked down and she, he was going anywhere she was going. And we were actually sitting there in a daze and that deer roared at her. And that's how we heard him. And I turned right around and my buddy said, what? in the world was that and i'm like big buck don't move <laughs> and he didn't care what color you were wearing right <laughs> no it didn't matter at all i mean he he didn't i mean every deer is different though like i i shot a doe two years ago that she was with a button buck fawn and i think it was her fawn from over the summer and he come and he was underneath my tree and he was just doing whatever he smelled my steps i mean he didn't care he, he didn't know the fear in it, but she come and she like looked right at me and looked right up. And she was like, I don't know about that. And then she like turned right around. And when she turned around, that's when I drew back and she jumped over this like bush to get, try to get away. And, and that's when I ended up shooting her when she stopped on the other side of that bush. But I mean, every deer is different. Some, some are trained to start looking in the trees. 
be they bench shot it. And some, they don't even pay attention to it at all. They, they have something on their mind that they're on a mission. So that, that's, that's crazy because you, you think of like the five or $600 uh, Sitka jacket and uh, all of this stuff that's being, you know, pushed at you. And I, I was, it, it is, it is nice because it, a lot of that stuff keeps you dry and warm. And I mean, there's been multiple times I have froze my ass off out there, but truthfully, it, it doesn't all matter. As long as you're wearing, I would say a dark color and you learn to blend in or like picking the right tree is probably the hardest thing to do. But if you can pick a tree that has another tree next to it, you're, you're mainly golden because it just helps break your soul out of your body. I think about that often also when, how many times have you been sitting in a tree? Well, maybe not where you hunt, but, you know, I can think of multiple times and a lot of times like when I'm out of state, um, but I'll be sitting somewhere and I'll have, you'll have somebody walk right underneath you or whatever. And like, you know, your fletchings are bright colored, you know, you got stuff hanging there, you know, and they, they don't even notice. They you. have no idea. You know, nope. I've had I've had guys walk right by me and I've had to whistle at them because they were about to walk into the bedding area where all those deer were supposed to go. Like Ohio was a perfect example. I would say I went hunted opening day of Ohio. And I mean, I might as well just tell the whole story. But I went down there and I found the same exact tree I hunted two years before somehow in the dark. I couldn't tell you how I didn't even use like my mapping system or nothing. I just walked and knew there's this ridge line and those deer would like run that ridge line and actually that morning i had this raccoon at first light come underneath me and i was sitting there and i'm like oh whatever and then i heard some more and i thought it was a raccoon again i looked down and it was a nice eight pointer and he was right underneath me and my climber and this was back in my climber days and i couldn't shoot him because i couldn't shoot him around the uh the climber because he was mm -hmm. directly right underneath me and then when he moseyed off he moseyed off in like my blind spot with the climber and that's why i didn't like using the climber because of the blind spot but fast forward to like two and a half more weeks later we came like pre-rut down there and i was sitting there and i had two guys walking on me one dude was in full camo and he had blue jeans on and a painted face and he was walking around with a crossbow and he didn't see me i just let him go by but he wasn't going where the deer were and then an hour later, I had some dude with a regular bow walk around with camo pants on, and he had a Columbia jacket. <laughs> and and I, I don't, I don't know what they were doing, but like twenty minutes after that guy left, and I whistled at him because he was going towards those deer. All those deer started piling out, and I, I shot a goofy looking rat deer that come right to me, and had no idea it was there until he come twenty yards from me. He looked right at me, and he was already too late. <laughs> but he came from like one hundred fifty yards, and I told myself that if he comes all the way over here, I'm gonna shoot him. And he did. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask is like, uh, how does it, uh, the standards and, or like the hunts go, um, when you're out of state? Cause it sounds like, you know, just for, you know, a decent eight pointer or whatever, you know, in, in Michigan, that might be, you know, a hundred inches or well, whatever, but in Ohio, it could be, you know, 130 easy. Yeah. Well, in Ohio, me and Ohio have had our little hearts and misses. Let's put it that way. <laughs> that state haunts me. And for some reason, I don't know why, but I have shot every, I've, that's the only state that I went out of state 
and I've drawn back on a deer besides Minnesota and I've hunted Indiana multiple times and I've yet to draw back on one because I know what's there. But in Ohio, I never ran cameras down there. So it was like the first Pope and young deer that I was able to, to shoot really. And I've, for some reason I have missed multiple real big deer down there. I don't, I don't know what it is. There's something that haunts me. And I, one of these days I'm going to go down there and break that curse. I got best way to say it because like I, I shot it up. I would say a deer would probably score over 150 and I shot at him at 35 yards. And I don't even know how I missed that deer. And I, I think I grazed underneath his chest because there was hair, but I never hit him le- like lethal. And then not that year, but the year after I went down there, but I went to Southern Ohio instead of the Northern part where I usually hunt. And I had that deer probably been in like the one forties and a little buck come up and got him up. I drew back and ranged him from one uh, third out. He was on the second tier elevation in the mountains down there. And I was up above him, and somehow I snuck in there and walked around the mountain, come down over and I spot him sitting there in his bed, right on the edge of the mountain. It was like the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I watched him for a while and that little buck got him up. When he got him up, I ranged him and he was like 39 or 40 yards away. And I don't try to shoot anything under 40. That's what I'm really comfortable with. And I mean, shoot over 40, I should say. And I drew back and I, I, I shot and I thought I actually smoked that deer. And what there was, was a dead log that was straight up and down. That was any bigger than a baseball bat that blended into how dark his coat was. And that's what I shot instead of him. I was, you want to talk about being pissed? I couldn't believe it. And I thought I smoked that deer because he like ran off. Like I hit him and I I got all excited and I went down there and I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. (laughs) Man, that's how it goes sometimes. That's the worst, like out of state and. just think of how cool it like everything was up until that point you know well the cool part is is that me and jason were in camp together and he would have been just as excited as i was if i would have killed that deer and Mm -hmm. and it would have just been a thrill and it just we i never hunted the mountains down there and he did like i think once or twice before me and i i found out more of the deer we're staying away from the hardwood ridges where everybody would come down hunt during the rut. And we're more in like the brush country down there. And that's what I figured out. But then after that, I never been back. I just <laughs> cut my losses for a while. And that's why I've been hunting Indiana because it's, it's so close for me to drive down. I could drive down there. Like a lot of people come out my way from the city is the same amount of time. Yeah. But down, down in Indiana, I've had chances to kill like Pope and young deer. But from what I've seen and what I've had on camera down there and what I filmed over the summer, I shouldn't kill anything less than 140 down there. That's cool. And I mean, you've seen the deer that Jason killed last year mm-hmm. and it, they're there. And that's, that's what's great about it. Hmm. Yeah. My buddy, he just come up with one last year. That was like, it, it was just under 170. Yeah. And I mean, Indiana's a pretty sleeper state. It's starting to get more and more popular now, but the big deer are there. I, I mean, I hate to really say that, and I hope it don't hurt me, but they're there. <laughs> now, um, you said you moved from a from a climber to, like you said, a lone wolf. Is that what you're still hunting with? Is like a, a lone wolf? Yes, I'm still hunting with a. Uh, I'm hunting with the custom gear stuff now. Okay, and what sticks are you using? 
uh, the Lone Wolf Mini Sticks with the Aiders. Okay. So not the not the double steps. You still just run nope, the singles. Just just the singles. I like how they stack better on the stand. And I could be a lot more organized with them that way. Because I mean I'm I'm taking my camera stuff out there with me now. And I mean in the last five years, I've really got into like filming a lot more. I, I like enjoy going and looking back, especially during the summer. I really like looking at all the bucks I film. And I mean, I'll stop in the middle of the road and pull right over. I don't care if there's traffic or people and film a big buck that's on public because I don't film anything that I can't hunt. That's the best way to say it. I really enjoyed. I was going back through and looking at the stuff from last year, trying to put something together. And I was like, man, you know, in the moment you think like even not like bucks or whatever, but I just think like, oh, you know, I had some does or this spike or this, you know, whatever. But then. Like, as I'm going through, looking through all these files, it's like, man, we saw a lot of deer last year. <laughs> like, you know. And I mean, that that's, I think just even seeing deer, like coming for somebody, for a new hunter, just seeing deer is just confidence right there. Even if you didn't get a shot at them, just even seeing them and watching where they're coming, watch where they come from. Watch what they're doing, even if it is a spike. Because it could be a spike and then you move over there the next night and a big eight pointer come right out. And you get a shot at him. I can tell you that my through through doing this podcast, you know, obviously you, I get to talk to you know tons of great hunters, guys that do things way differently than I've ever been taught, than I've ever seen, um, that I've even like started to think of, and that for me has been like building that confidence. Like last year, you know. You know, I almost tagged out last year. I was at full draw on a really nice buck. And, uh, but that was three days in the making because I just kept moving closer and closer to where I saw the deer, you know. And then finally I made the, you know, the correct decision to be, you know, where I thought well, it needed to I be, think, you know. And, and I mean, that's because you got aggressive. And that's where I know a lot of new hunters, a lot of new mobile hunters too, they're too scared to get aggressive. So what if you fail? If you fail, you learn something. And I mean, I failed more times than you can ever believe. Like last year, I was after a really big eight-pointer, and that deer would probably score in the 130s here in Michigan. And I actually kicked him out of his bed because I finally figured out where they were all coming from completely. I kicked him. I bumped him. He got up. He did one big circle around me, and I actually almost got a shot at him at 45 yards. I was like, going back and forth in my head, like, do I do it or do I not? And he's already on pins and needles, so I just passed him. And then he worked a scrape right in front of me and crossed the road, and somebody smoked him with a car right in front of me. Oh, my God. But I learned something that I knew that that's where those deer are going to be, and they're going to do that every single year now. Because on that camera that was adjacent to there, I had five shooters in a week span right there, and I couldn't figure out which way they were coming from. And it was it starting to aggravate me a lot because – it knowing the area and I'm like, there's no way that all five of those shooters are sitting in that one bedding area and I'm not seeing a one, but I'd see 15 does every single night. Yeah. I think like, like you said, like, like just seeing deer, but you know, and you said about being aggressive, like, I think that those are the two like Achilles heels, like of a lot of hunters is like, maybe it's not even that they don't know 
that they want to be aggressive or that, that, that they're not being aggressive. Yeah. But it's just like getting the trail cam pictures that people want to see deer. And I can tell you this, like, you know, more than likely the way that you grew up hunting with the, the UP style bait pile hunting was the same as, as I did. And so if those deer walked by and they didn't come to the bait, then you never see or you you uh, you could see them. I, I mean, we used to sit and look through the cedar swamps, and you'd see like the silhouettes go by, but they yeah. never came over to us. But we had our our spots, we had our shacks, we had our area well, that, you know, that we just went to here too. And then you you sat in that area, and I mean, the area I hunted in the UP when I was younger, I didn't see very many deer, but when I did, it was always a good one. And I always got a shot. And most of the time, I say three out of the five, they were with a doe. And that's what killed them. And she wanted to come eat. Mm. And that was before I knew what I was doing, really, at all. And I wouldn't say I even knew what I was doing now. I'm just putting myself and using what's in between my ears to know where the deer are going to want to be. But what I'm saying is, when I would see those silhouettes and those deer out there, and they walked by... I never thought to move over there yeah. because this was my true. spot and this was my bait. So maybe the ones behind them will want to come and eat, you know? Yeah. And so I think that seeing deer, you think, well, you hope that they come over to you, you know? Oh, well, maybe the next ones will come by. Like when you, when you talk about Ohio, like, you know, granted I killed a good one in Ohio, but the year prior to that, I had five bucks jump this Creek. 50 yards in front of me at about a half hour interval. And if I would have just got down and moved 50 yards, they'd have been running been right the there. Yeah. But it never crossed my mind ever. And I mean, that's, that's like the biggest fault too, is that I think a lot of people put, or especially new hunters in, in the hope. And I mean, you, you gotta have some kind of hope to go out there because it's confidence, but you can't just put your whole entire game in the hope. You want to be in the game, you got to like move, especially if you're a mobile hunter. There's no reason why you can't move and get closer. And, and that's, and that's what I mean. That's what I've learned, you know, over this process. And, you know, when I think back on people that I know that have killed big deer, or people that have done things you know, they're moving all around, like even in the same day, like if they'll set up and they're like, oh, well the deer are over there. So I'm got down in the mood over there would have been never in a million years would I have thought to do that. And now it's just like, should I move yet or, or wait a couple of minutes, you know? Yeah. And I mean, some of the older guys that I've known that are, that have killed a lot of nice bucks. That was one of the biggest factors that I've learned from them is don't be scared to get down and move because some of them actually have just moved that day, same day within the hour and killed that same buck. They seen two hours before that came right back through on the same exact trail that he just did. Well, when you think about it, he was safe there the first time. Yeah. You know? why, why Why would he not come back that way? Right. He might He might have just went to this other little area and checked those, and then he was like, oh, well, none of them are in heat, and said, screw it, and come right back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's something that gets gets missed when you're – like I said, there's so much information out there, and there's so many things that you know guys should focus on, and they're not having fun – they're not, 
You well, know. when you start getting stressed out about it, that's when you're not having any fun. Right. And that's, I think that's where one of the biggest factors that I got over the fact is that I just take my gut feeling of what I want to do. Because like I could, I knew like if you take three betting areas and they're close together and you only got three options, I just take my gut feeling about it now. Unless I see him and he goes right there, obviously I'm going to go there. But So, uh, given that, uh, before we we round this out here, what do you think? So, if you uh, were taking one of your buddies that was a, a a new hunter, you know, killed killed a couple uh, deer, uh, but never killed a buck, with all the information that you've gathered from all the trail cams, from all the trends, from all of the everything, you know, where would you say this is where this is where you need to be to kill any buck. I would basically send them into a place or set them up where it's adjacent the two bedding areas that those bucks like to move back and forth. And I know he's going to see multiple bucks, just not one. Or multiple deer, period, too. Like, in areas that I know that, like, even, like, a lot of times when people come down, like, if you ever came down, I would go scout a couple days before and watch what some of these deer are doing. Kind of like what a guide would do. And then I would know exactly what these deer are doing. And I know we're going to see multiple deer and a couple shooters. Well, uh, you know, John's not here. He always asks, you know, what's your, what's your bow setup? What are you shooting? Arrows, broadheads, the whole works. Well, I'm not in all the ranch fairy stuff, but (laughs) I still shoot a big two blade. I shot these expandables that were a two blade hybrid for a while, but they're so hard to come by now that I just don't even shoot them anymore just for that factor. But I shoot a 70 pound draw carbon night by Bowtech. And I've shot that bow since it came out in 2013. And I mean, why reinvent the wheel when I'm killing deer with it anyways? And it shoots just fine. And then I shoot full metal jackets that are 340 spine out of a hundred grain broadhead two blade that I buy off Amazon in a 24 pack, nothing fancy. And what site are you using? Uh, I think it's a trophy Ridge actually. And it's five pins. But what's funny is that in 2016, I actually started using a site before that I was instinctive the whole entire time. (laughs) So, I mean, I've shot a lot of deer instinctive too, which is, it's fun. But I now I I'm getting to the case that if I know I can get to these deer under 20 yards, I want to start shooting a recurve. I just haven't picked out one that I really want yet. Well, now that you say that, I have to ask. Um, you know, in 2016 or prior, were you shooting a release or were you shooting these deer with fingers too? I was shooting a release because okay. you still you still got the same anchor point. It kind of helped out, but I mean, even then, I was still shooting decent bucks under 20 yards even though i would say half the time was luck and half the other half was i i kind of knew what i was doing but not really either at the same time and i mean i have no problem admitting to it that like i've grown as a hunter and i've learned where to be and not to be but i mean it's always a guessing game no matter if you know what you're doing or not because that deer might not be there or someone because of hunting public land could have already went and walked through there and scouted and kicked him out and you never knew it well, man, I really appreciate finally getting you on here and, uh, 
and talking. Uh, where can people follow along if they want to see, you know, some of these photos or any of the videos they have, any of that stuff? Well, you can find me on DD Hunter 12 on Instagram. And then also our pages on Facebook and Instagram is from bed to dead. And that's with Jason Campbell. And uh, I think we got three other guys that are on there too. And then we have a YouTube channel too. But I mean, Jason's in the middle of building the house right now. We're finishing that up and we don't have any of our content from last year out just yet, but we will here soon, eventually. I mean, it's just huge time consuming. And then, I mean, I work six, seven days a week too right now. So. Oh yeah. We know all about that. Trying to get content and videos and all that stuff oh, out there. It's <laughs> just so overwhelming sometimes. And I mean, like Jason's super busy. And then, I mean, he's being pulled in like 15 different directions because he's always getting people contacting him too. And then, I mean, I have people talk to me all the time. And I mean, thankfully that I work nights and I can hunt every day during this season. And that's why I've learned so much over the years. But Besides that, I mean, we're, we're always busy. I mean, I work for Pepsi, so I mean, everybody wants pop and water, so. <laughs> right, right. Well, man, I really appreciate it, and uh, just hold on the line here, but I think that's all we got for the evening, so thanks. Yeah, 